Should foreign maritime transportation competitors, say China, be permitted to ply U.S. commercial waters? For a century, the Jones Act has reserved that right for U.S.-made ships and crews. Now the idea of ending the protection of the U.S. maritime is gaining a little traction. Bad idea, according to my next guest. He's the vice president for legislative affairs at the Navy League, John Kaskin. Mr. Kaskin, good to have you on. Yes, happy to be on board with you this morning. All right, tell us what's going on here. The uh, Jones Act has been around for 100 years, but there are people that would like to see that rescinded or trimmed back or repealed, or what's going on? Um, Laws like the Jones Act, which are cabotage laws, which require cargo moving between two U.S. points to be on U.S. built in U.S. crude ships have been around since the founding of the country. It was actually one of the Navigation Acts was the second law passed by Congress. Its current incarnation is the Jones Act uh, was passed in 1920, and it was the lessons learned from uh, World War I, uh, where we had issues in having uh, a maritime capability in support of that operation. So has been in good stead for a, a hundred years, and we would like it to keep it going. However, there are a lot of commercial concerns out there that feel that the extra cost of uh, U.S. crews and U.S. built ships is a burden on the economy, and it should be repealed. And this has nothing to do with ships coming from foreign ports bearing goods, but rather what happens once the goods hit U.S. shores and the local maritime industry takes over? Yes, foreign trade can be more than 98.5% of goods coming into this country are on foreign flag ships. There's only 86 ships under U.S. flag that are in the international trades. It's less than a half percent of the total ocean-going ships. But cargo moving between U.S. ports, particularly, let's say, Alaskan oil, as well as oil from the fracking to the refineries, as well as to our non-contiguous trades to Hawaii, Puerto Rico, uh, and Alaska. That's where the Jones Act trades uh, exist. So it sounds like people that would change the Jones Act are looking at the fact that there's no or virtually no American presence in U.S. international shipping to maybe be an indicator that the industry itself is maybe sclerotic or needs some kind of a boost to make it more productive or more efficient? Well, it's U.S. shipping is not going to be competitive internationally because the cost of U.S. citizen crews as well as the cost of U.S. ships. And there are various reasons why those higher costs are warranted. Our ships are manned by U.S. citizens, are paid by a a competitive U.S. wage, and are under all of the various Social Security and other programs that benefit our citizens. The U.S. built ships, because we do not have a large shipbuilding industrial base, don't produce ships in large enough numbers to generate the costs as they are in the Far East, either built in China, uh, Korea, or Japan. So uh, in an international basis, we won't be able to compete. So in order to ensure that we do have U.S. shipping along our coast and our non-contiguous territories and states, we have to pay uh, higher costs and premium. And that is what is being targeted. So, well, why should the American public have that burden? And the answer is there's benefit both from homeland security and national security of having uh, the Jones Act fleet that we wouldn't have uh, if we allowed those trades to be uh, opened up to foreign shipping. We're speaking with John Kaskin. He's vice president for legislative affairs at the Navy League. So this affects, in some ways, the Navy itself at some level where you worked for a long time. It also affects the Maritime Administration 
as well as U.S. shippers. So what are some of the national security and homeland security concerns that you feel are bolstered by having this U.S. flagship Jones Act mechanism? Well, right now, foreign flagships have to report to the Coast Guard before they come uh, into our country. They have to go via uh, Customs and Border Protection and through their processes. If we allowed foreign flagships to go anywhere in this country, we would have to uh, create a massive infrastructure to be able to handle such services at all of the ports up and down the riverways. Currently, is where most of the Jones Act vessels, we have over 40,000 Jones Act vessels, as I said, a, a hundred of them are, are ocean-going. And you can imagine what it would be like if you had all of these foreign vessels going up and down the rivers and the coastal uh, waterways and the issues of concern of the crews on board, what they would be doing, and, and so on. But the national security aspects of it, the defense, is that, you know, frankly, the, the Jones Act uh, is, is the largest component of our U.S. merchant marine. There's only 184 ships altogether in the U.S. Merchant Marine, and, and 98 of them are Jones Act ships. And during a time of contingency, we could call upon these ships, particularly the tanker vessels, in order to support military operations. And we have a massive shortfall right now that has to be addressed in supporting a major contingency in the Pacific. We're probably more than 60 tankers short of what we need, and maybe be even more and the Jones Act has about 50 tankers that are military useful that could be potentially diverted for those operations. So there's really two sides to it. One is the U.S. capacity in time of war, and the other side is that a foreign flag ship that has ill intent could get as far as Buffalo, New York, to do its bad work from coming from the Atlantic. Yes, sir. That is true. And it's also the Jones Act is a major stimulus for our uh, shipbuilding industries, particularly the small and medium shipyards with those 40,000 vessels. That keeps hundreds of thousands of Americans employed. So there's industrial base capabilities that are provided. And for the larger ships, uh, those are the same shipyards that build our naval auxiliaries. And some countries who don't maintain such strict cabotage with uh, domestically built as well as flagged ships such as Canada. I mean, they have allowed uh, ships to come into Canada and reflag them with Canadian flag, but their whole shipbuilding industry basically uh, atrophied to the point where when they had to rebuild their Navy and the Coast Guard, they had to reconstruct their whole shipbuilding industry, and it's cost them billions of dollars over the last several years to be able to uh, do those types of ships. The United Kingdom actually had to get their oilers built uh, in Korea because they no longer had the industrial capacity anymore to uh, to build their auxiliaries. And even in the United States, there's only a couple of really blue water, to use the term that the Navy League uses, shipbuilding companies. And they're mostly, in, I think, 100% engaged in military construction, correct? Well, there's a couple of them, such as in Philadelphia, the Philly shipyard, as well as NASCO. In San Diego, there is a halter uh, in the Gulf Coast. These are yards that can build military and Coast Guard vessels as well as commercial vessels. And you need a combination of both in order to sustain those shipyards. Some years, those uh, Philadelphia shipyard, NASCO shipyard, built uh, several dozen tankers for the, uh, the fracking trade over the last several years. Now those yards are going to depend on government work for a few years until the Jones Act needs to be rebuilt, or we find ways to expand the Jones Act. Frankly, I think we don't have enough ships under U.S. flag to be actually able to crew our reserve fleet ships 
for protracted operations in time of war. So we need a ways of being able to expand the U.S. merchant marine. And one opportunity would be if we move the trailers or uh, 53-foot containers along the coast and take them off the interstates on uh, trailer ships, just like we uh, move them to, uh, from the, uh, the West Coast to Alaska on trailer ships. So there's ways of trying to expand it that may require government support, but we really need to expand the, the, the Jones Act rather than having it go away. John Kaskin is Vice President for Legislative Affairs at the Navy League. Thanks so much for joining me. You're very welcome, sir. We'll post this interview along with the League's latest position paper at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.